Hi, I'm John Canemaker, author, animator, blah, blah, blah. And I'm welcoming you to the Skull Rock podcast. Welcome. Skull Rock podcast, talking all things Disney with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast. If this is your first time checking us out, welcome. Every week we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never before heard stories. Behind the scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much more. I'm Al John Goh, co-host and longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, also pop culturist. You gotta love it. You can contact me Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bosser, your other co-host, and I'm an artist, filmmaker, and author, and I want to welcome you all to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop <laughs> culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Uh, you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Can you tell I'm like going to radio broadcasting school, you know? I'm, I'm just sort of uh, modulating my voice there a little bit. <laughs> it's the morning zoo. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a trigger finger too because I just love our studio audience so much, Dave. Yeah, the studio audience always goes wild. Doesn't they, they, it? Yeah, they go wild. It's crazy. So we have an awesome week, another awesome week uh, in 2022. I've gotten more snow over the past week. Uh, than I could shake a stick at and more to come apparently here in middle Tennessee. I, I, it's weird. We've got more snow, I think over the past week um, than over the past couple of years combined here in wow. Nashville, which wow. is kind of strange. And we're bracing, you know, winter is coming, <laughs> you know, so um, we're, we're going out and getting our, uh, getting our, our, our milk and, and all the staples in because uh, we were, we were cutting it close last time with the kiddos. Well, you know something? I hightailed it out of New York last week yeah. uh, or whatever it was. Is it, was it last week? Yes, it, yeah. was, it was last week. <laughs> I, 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 I'm losing track of time and we're yeah. already in 2022. Exactly. Uh, but I hightailed it out of New York before the snow hit. And uh, I have to tell you, Al John, it's uh, wonderfully sunny and uh, sort of in the low 70s today uh, out here in Los Angeles. So I'm enjoying this California winter weather. Are you going to be going to D23 at all? I mean, is that something you carve out since it's kind of in the neck of Well, neck you know something? I, I actually put it on my calendar, uh, but uh, I haven't made any decisions yet. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm taking it one week at a time. Uh, the only thing that I've uh, scheduled is my time up in Maine. Mm. That's the only thing I've scheduled, out, uh, you know, months out from now. Uh, gotcha. because I'm going to do that no matter what, cause I go up there by myself, you know, uh -huh. uh, and I'm away from crowds and all of that. I'm just, you know, communing with nature gotcha. and writing and okay. writing. All right. Well, I, I mean, um, are you going to go? I don't think I'm going to be able to make it just because of the timing. I'm, yeah. I will be in, in Anaheim over the summer. At least that's the plan anyway. So I hope that yeah. uh, you and I can meet up at some point. But Oh, absolutely. Um, without question. Yeah. But, you know, what, what bothers me about D23 is why it's pushed into September. Yeah. yeah I don't know. 
I, I just don't get it, you know, because it, it's sort of like right after Labor Day, uh, you know, that's, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's back in school. People are, you know, gearing up to towards the holidays. It's like, why aren't they doing it in July or August? So I, I just, think they I, I think, just don't know. I think that's a purpose, purposeful thing for them because yeah. they're they don't want necessarily the biggest crowds. I okay. mean, it's just I mean, that's just my deduction for what it's worth. You know, right now it looks like it's going to be running from September 9th through 11th over there in Anaheim Convention Center. But yeah. I, eh, who knows? But um, yeah. Well, listen, uh, you know, I, I can we, we could spend an hour talking about all of this because, Indeed. you know, the D23 event has uh, has evolved. And, you know, it's it's sort of a, a big company dog and pony show. Yep. And, you know, it's different from what it was that first year that they did it. Yeah. You know, where you had where you had uh, small vendors and, you know, dealers of memorabilia mixed in with everything, you know, so it, it's it's just different. It so. is. It is. Well, we are going to have an awesome show lined up for everyone today. Um, one of your one of your old friends, Arnold Leibovit, is uh, is going to be chatting with us here uh, talking about some of our favorite things. Right, Dave? Yeah, I, I'm really excited about having Arnold on the show because he's sort of the keeper of the George Powell flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Powell uh, may not be a household name to some of our listeners, but uh, he was really a groundbreaking uh, animator. Uh, he knew Walt Disney uh, and uh, George did the puppetoon shows uh, throughout the 1940s. And then, you know, his career evolved into uh, special effects and doing you know war of the worlds and time machine and stuff like that so i'm really excited about this because george powell was a pal of walt disney <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, as well as walter lance and some of the other great uh uh animation uh personnel uh from the golden age so right that's that's going to be really terrific. One other thing I wanted to mention, got a wonderful note uh, from uh, a gentleman uh, through Facebook okay. uh, who, who said, uh, I have listened to all the Skull Rock podcasts and have really enjoyed them. I also have some of your books and I am really enjoying your latest on Claude Coates. Hey, thanks for that. That's right. I appreciate it. Checks in the and mail. he goes on to say, <laughs> you and Al John make a great team. Oh, I think we I, I think we do. Um, you pull in some awesome guest speakers with a wealth of knowledge on so many Disney related topics. Your your podcast is top notch and should be higher than 13. <laughs> well, hey, we're number 13. We're number 13. And, and, he, and he finishes out by saying your podcast has also helped me pass the time during the pandemic. Hey. So thank you so much, Dave and Al John. Hey. Well, Michael, thank you. We love getting those kinds of notes and we really appreciate it. Um, you know, he goes on to talk a little bit about uh, listening to the uh, uh, show from last week where we celebrated Roy e. Disney's birthday. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he really would love to see if we could get a guest on uh, that could talk uh, about Ron Miller and that oh, yeah. sort of period between Walt's death and when Michael Eisner took over uh, with Frank Wells took over the company so yeah. uh we're gonna work on that we're gonna try and get somebody on who can speak authoritatively about uh ron miller's uh tenure at the company that would be amazing because i feel like yeah. there's not a whole lot out there regarding that era 
you know. Yeah, and and, and also, you know, uh, Ron Miller did did some great things uh, uh, while he was CEO of the company. Sure. So uh, I definitely think we want to get somebody on that can speak to that uh, and tell some stories uh, about Ron. Nice. And uh, we're going to work on that. So, Michael, thank you for your uh, note. It's very much appreciated. And Al John and I love getting those kinds of uh, emails and messages from people because uh, it, it makes us feel good. Right, Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got one more quick note too to add to yeah. that. Yeah, because we ahead. did comment. Um, you know, we over the holiday we did re rebroadcast some or republish some uh, older uh, you know podcast interviews. And we did we, our we, we did our vintage shows. We did the vintage. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 it was a very good year it was a vintage show it was classic instant classic so the joel hale interview uh some people are just now uh, discovering that and one of our instagram followers you your old pal riggers had mentioned this was a good one so many great stories and not a lot of punches pulled when it came to certain individuals lol keep it up <laughs> <laughs> well you know i i have to say something you know al john you you know as well as i do we're not going to sugarcoat things no. we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna tell it like it is yeah. um you know we're gonna celebrate the things that need to be celebrated and you know we may be critical of some things uh and uh the one thing that our listeners are going to get from us is honesty Yes. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, that's what it boils down to. Yes. I mean, there, there's a lot to be had out there and a lot of, we, we get a lot of like, Oh, this is neat or it's really cool. Or, you know, uh, Bill Mitchell on Facebook posted perfect timing in regards to the Roy Disney show because of the birthday coincidence, you know, that it just happened to land there, which is awesome. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of that. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll just tell it, tell it from our point of view. It's the only way we know how. And, yeah. and uh, we appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. So thank you for that. Yeah, and, excellent. And, and by the way, uh, uh, I want to just let you and our listeners know that I did go see Spider-Man No Way Home <laughs> in oh, IMAX. Oh. Finally got a chance to see it in IMAX before it left. Oh. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh. I mean, it, it was just a spectacle. It really was. And it was Something a terrific else. movie. And there's some wonderful surprises in there, which I'm not going to give away. Yeah, um, I, I, if you haven't seen it, you need to go see it because you're going to be blown away by some of the uh, people that appear in uh, uh, in the movie. Uh, and I, I just thought it was really terrific. I really enjoyed it a lot. Funny you mentioned that because I feel like it's a love letter to the fans. Yeah, it really is a love letter. And I think it you have look when and you're an author, you're a writer and a storyteller, Dave. Um, so you know that everything as a, as a fan, as a reader, whether it's a reader or a viewer of, of, of a film or, or whatever, it's a bunch of setups and payoffs, right? That's good yeah. storytelling. You have three acts to set things up and pay it off and you yeah. got to pay it off in, in a way that is so satisfying that you want people to come back for more and wait for the next installment or to say, darn, that was a really good story. And I feel like, they set everything up and wow, did they pay it off in spades? Yeah. They, they really did. It was, it, it, again, I, I can't uh, recommend it uh, more highly uh, than uh, just go out and see it and try and see it on a big screen. If you can, I, I, I mean, you know, the impact of this film, you know, on an IMAX screen is just awesome. 
Yeah, there's a reason why it's making a billion dollars at the bo- global box office. Yeah, why? Well, I think it's approaching two billion at uh, this point. Probably so. Probably yeah, or so. A billion and a half or something. It's crazy. Right on. But I, and, and by the way, uh, speaking of watching things, I did binge watch a limited series on Netflix called The Stranger. Oh, and, and and I would highly recommend it. It's sort of a you know a blackmail murder, uh, mm. you know mystery uh, kind of thing over eight episodes, and uh, really really well done. It's a British show. Um, you know, check it out if you have a uh, have a chance to see it. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I just wanted to mention that. Well, that that's that's great. Um, I think another. Uh, you know, anytime we can recommend something, you know, it's, it's super cool. And I know yeah. that um, my wife and I have been binge watching, you know, Ron Howard has been doing some and producing some of these um, crime documentaries on Netflix. Uh-huh. And one was um, from that um, was the inspiration for the American Horror Story Hotel um, over there in Los Angeles. And uh, we've been binge watching that. He's got like two different seasons of the, these weird kind of crime stories that he's been mm. producing. And uh, it's been great. You know, I, first of all, I'm a big Howard, Ron Howard fan. And even though he wasn't directing or, you know, doing this, it's more of a reality based thing. He was producing it. Um, still fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. But um, well, terrific. But, uh, but anyway, I think it's time to delve into. Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Bob Chapek's memo to staff, Disney has three strategic pillars, that's in air quotes, moving forward. The CEO says he will hold new monthly meetings with creative leaders and tease the metaverse as their new canvas on which to paint. Dave, uh, these pillars, they are suspiciously like the three pillars that Bob Iker had. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, something though, and why not, you know, just carry the torch forward. I mean, you know, uh, storytelling excellence has always been a pillar of the Walt Disney company. Innovation has always been, uh, a, uh, a pillar of the company. I mean, the the company has been innovating since Walt Disney's, uh, uh, days, uh, at the Hyperion studio for crying out loud. Uh, and, uh, you know, this relentless, focus on the audience as their final pillar uh you know of course i you know it's all about the audience it's all about delivering content and experiences to the uh audience you know and i i just feel as though uh you know, it, this may be old hat, but it, it's great that uh, it's being reemphasized. <clears throat> and, and it should be. Once again, setups and payoffs. Think about your audience. That's all we want. You have one job. Entertain us. Are we not entertained, Dave? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, honestly, uh, it, 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 you know, of course, the the, the number one uh, for the first pillar is always going to be storytelling excellence. Right. That's what Disney has been known for, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, this whole business about the metaverse, it seems to be the latest buzzword for every company. You know, they're they're jumping into the metaverse. You know, nobody knows what the metaverse is or what, what, what the metaverse is going to uh, 
bring in the future. You know, it's all being uh, explored and invented as we go here, you know? So, uh, but I think the relentless focus on the audience, they, they really need to actually take a very good look at that aspect of it, especially mm-hmm. with how they're structuring uh, the, the new genie pass and things like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes, I agree. You know, I, I, you know, it's it's so so weird. You know, my wife and I have these discussions about about how things are structuring and how it's shaking out, and you know, it's something to attract more people, and people are still you know responding and booking their vacations and going to Disney and doing this, doing that. But there's also that appealing that appeal to the hardcore fans that they don't want to feel left behind. You know, right? They don't want to feel left behind. You know, so. Hopefully everybody kind of considers them too. It's part of the three pillars. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think the other aspect of this is, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you and I both are hearing it from the fan base, you know, there, there's grumbling that some of the stuff that's being done is just a money grab. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so, you know, my, my, you know, advice is that they need to sort of revisit that and, and not make everything uh, about, you know, reaching into, into the audience's pocket uh, as much as possible to pull cash out. Uh, They, they need to, they need to sort of uh, watch that and, uh, and make sure that the uh, audience is getting value. Absolutely. You know, having to having to stay on property and pay for parking is not a very good way to get things started on your vacation. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that, that you know, I, again, uh, it's uh, there. There's lots of ways to to do things without uh, upsetting the audience. Exactly. That, that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, right. how about a treat? Uh, I am I am a big fan of the Santa Claus series. I think a lot of people know that I am. And with with Tim Allen. With Tim Allen, absolutely. Yeah, and, he's great. You know, he's a lot of fun. In every role that I've seen him, he just mm-hmm. always delivers. And we have new news, breaking news from Disney Plus. The Santa Claus is coming back, Dave. Looks like As a series. Doing, it's going to be a series. How about that? With, With Tim, Tim Allen, Allen I which know. is which is awesome, <laughs> exactly. Like I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know this this franchise has earned over five hundred million dollars box office wide since it started in nineteen ninety four, and it is awesome. So I cannot wait. Uh, it's part of the twentieth century television division of the Disney brand, and uh, it looks great. Scott Calvin is back, and I look forward to checking that out. And it looks like uh, they're going to try to make it um, uh, over over the next couple of years. We'll be seeing that uh, probably next Christmas, I would think. Uh, you know, I think it's so great. And, and, you know, I had an opportunity to meet Tim Allen. Uh, oh, yeah. I had some deal- dealings with him at the studio many years ago. Just an incredibly nice guy, you know, oh. really nice guy. And he knows, he, you know, he's a fan, you know, he, he knows his stuff. I, I'm glad. I'm glad you had a great experience with him and I'm looking forward to it, you know, so, Hey, I can't wait. I can't wait for it. Uh, another thing that, uh, I'm having to wait for until maybe over the weekend when I can actually watch and, <laughs> and, and, and digest some, some of it is the brand new Peacemaker series from DC and James Gunn streaming on HBO max. 
Dave, this is kind of an irreverent take, very similar to, uh, you know, what they did with the um, Suicide Squad, the latest edition of the Suicide Squad. This is starring uh, professional wrestler turned actor John Cena, and it looks crazy. James Gunn crazy style going on here. Yeah, I, you know, again, I, I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to checking this out. It's, it, it, I just added this to my uh, watch list, uh, and I, I think uh, I, I've heard that it's hilarious. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. James Gunn, I think, does a really great job of just telling these comic book crazy, wacky, you know, stories. Of course, you know him from the first two installments of Guardians of the Galaxy for Marvel, and now that he's uh, working on. On both ends right he's got the marvel on one and and he's got uh dc on the other i mean it looks very promising and it's going to continue that whole suicide squad story arc uh, for john cena's character peacemaker who uh, is a uh, shall i say kind kind of got this uh, bloodlust <laughs> you know kind of going on he's he's uh yeah talk about getting triggered he definitely will be getting triggered um, there you go well and how about this dave now you're a big fan of uh tim Timothy Oliphant and uh, I am too. And it looks like justified is getting a new limited series, David, something you've seen in the entire. Uh, I, I've show. seen the entire series of justified uh, and it's terrific. I, I thoroughly have thoroughly enjoyed it. I was, I was, uh, I was really sad when, when the series came to an end. So I was equally as excited uh, when I read that FX was reviving justified with Timothy Oliphant mm-hmm. uh, for this new limited series. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. Absolutely. He, he's terrific. It's a great character. Uh, and Elmore Leonard, it's based on, you know, an Elmore Leonard uh, 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 book. Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's a great premise. You know, Timothy plays uh, a U.S. Marshal uh, who sometimes is uh, walking the line between good and bad. You know, so that seems to be stuff. where he lives these days. Is that, you know, yeah. I yeah. mean, a hey, good characters, uh, good characters tend to be in that shade of gray. You know, and, so. and by the way, speaking of good characters, Jack Reacher, if you remember the uh-huh. uh, Jack Reacher uh, uh, movies that, t- that they starred Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher. Yes. Well, uh, they've made it into a series at uh, uh, at Amazon Prime. Yes. Uh, and uh, if you have an Amazon subscription, you can check out the trailer for the Jack Reacher series, which I think is dropping. Is it February fourth? February fourth on Prime Video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's dropping February 4th, uh, so people can check out the uh, trailer uh, on the landing page at Amazon.com. Oh, that's great. Now, you see now who's king of the Segway, right? I know, there you <laughs> go. We're, we're, we keep getting better at it, don't we? <laughs> right, right. Well, in more somber news, you know, we had a few passings uh, this week. It seems that uh, we have some more legendary actors that have uh, passed away. Dwayne Hickman star of the many loves of Dobie Gillis dies at 87. Of course, yeah. uh, this love struck high schooler of the 1960s sitcom on CBS was the perpetual teenager and starred on the Bob Cummings show as well. Um, so there you go. Or the Bob Cummings show, Do- the many loves of Dobie Gillis. I always want to say, uh, say those together. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, yeah. that was sad to see, but you know, he was 87, had a good life and he leaves behind a body of work. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, go back and check it out. That is kind of one of the uh, archetypical uh, shows of that era, for sure. Um, And then recently, Ronnie Spector 
had passed away as well, died Wednesday of cancer at the age of 78. Um, yeah. Linked with, of course, um, you know, producer, songwriter Phil Spector. Uh, a lot of people know her from her hit songs like Be My Baby and, uh, of course. With, uh, with the Ronettes. With the Ronettes, absolutely. Just yeah. kind of the angelic voice uh, of that air of the all, she, all she female had a killer kind of voice. Killer oh, voice. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I posted a video of. Um, take me home tonight with Eddie money, like one of my favorite classic rockers, Eddie money. And of course she sang the hook on that song. And, and one of my friends said, now they're both uh, in heaven singing that together. And I'm like, there oh, you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, then we also have, but I didn't know this, Dave, did you know that Zendaya, you know, uh, you just saw Spider-Man. So, you know, that Zendaya, uh, you know, being MJ and in, in the Spider-Man franchise currently, she's going to be portraying the iconic singer in an upcoming movie. Um, I, I, I did not know that. And, uh, that was a surprise to see. Yeah. So apparently this, uh, film, uh, the 25 year old actress, uh, is going to be playing Ronnie Spector coming out, um, probably within the next year or so, uh, for a 24. That's the uh, studio that put that together. So, uh, probably going to be on Netflix. It looks like, so, uh, be on the lookout for that. She's a wonderful actress. So I'm looking forward to that. And one of the, uh, Giants, I would say, in terms of, you know, comedic um, sitcoms and a big star on ABC for many decades, Bob Saget, the comedian and star of Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos, dies at the age of 65. It was very sudden because he was on tour uh, day when they it found was, him. It was a shock. It really was a shock. You know, look, anybody who is in their fifties or sixties or whatever, uh, that passes away suddenly. It, it's a shock. I mean, you know, uh, you, you know, I, we sit here and we just talked about Dwayne Hickman. He was 87. Mm-hmm. He had a great life. You know, he was pushing the upper limits. Right. But 65 for Bob Saget. Well, I mean, it was just shocking to see this. And it was very, very sad. You know, he was considered America's dad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's only a handful of, of gentlemen that, that have that uh, moniker over the course of, of, of decades here on TV. And he's one of them. Danny Tanner, Full House, Fuller House, The Revival on Netflix, and of course, America's Funniest Home Videos. And I was a big fan of his com- comedy act as well. And he was doing his stand-up. Uh, he, he's very, very blue, if you know what I'm talking about. He's very oh, I adult know. I, 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 I completely know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, he, he comes across as such a squeaky clean dad kind of person, uh, you know, because of the show's on television. But his comedy, sh- uh, his comedy stand-up act was uh, uh, really uh, foul and blue and uh, <laughs> racy and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just unexpected. You know, if you yeah. if you only knew him from Full House, that you'd expect yeah. him to have a very clean, sanitized type of act, yeah. you know. But instead, uh, he definitely works blue. So, uh, anyway, for all the fans around the world, of course, they mourn his loss. And there's a lot of great loving tributes from his fellow co-stars over the years on Full and Fuller House uh, that have put it out there. Um, you know, I've got friends that have worked with Bob Saget. Um, you know knowing John Stamos and everything like that with my company, my, my line of work, they're still very taken back by it. Um, And uh, Bob was also a musician and he would come around to our studios a lot. And, and uh, even though I did not know him personally, um, I know a lot of people will miss him tremendously. Yes. All righty. Skull rock podcast interview time. 
Well, Al John, as I uh, explained earlier, we've got an incredible guest with us today, Arnold Leibovit, who is a producer and director. He's also the archivist of the George Powell Puppetoon films. Now, I, I, I'm so excited about this because I remember watching these films when I was a kid. So I want to welcome Arnold to the show. And do you like to be called Arnold or Arnie? Arnie is fine. Arnie, nice. welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. It's great to be here. So, uh, you know, before we get into the whole George Powell and Papa Tunes, we were talking before we went on the air, and you said something that just blew my mind. <laughs> you, you met Walt Disney at Disneyland? That's right. Oh, uh, can you tell, tell our audience this story and what Walt was like when you met him? Well, it wasn't unusual. I mean, I, I have to say, Walt lived at Disneyland. I mean, he had his he had his apartment, as you know, in above the firehouse, and uh, he he really spent a great deal of his time at Disneyland. He almost gave up animate the animation department when it was happening. It wasn't unusual for him to be at Disneyland because he was there all the time. And uh, on this particular occasion, um, he often brought his grandkids to the park, and he would take them around and so forth. And that was the time I saw him. And uh, he was really entertaining them for the weekend. Uh, of course, when Walt is in the, in the area, I mean, everybody wants to see him. I mean, uh, he was uh, surrounded by people. And uh, uh, I, um, we took a lot of pictures. Uh, we took some film at the time. I, have to, I don't know if I still have the film, something to find. And uh, we followed Walt around the park. Uh, we we he went. He took his kids on the monorail, and uh, so forth. And my mother couldn't believe it because, you know, she. I basically dragged them wherever Walt was. I had to go. Basically, I mean, it was you know he was my avuncular father. I mean, uh, uh, as my story will explain with George Powell and and so on, who was also a very dear friend of Walt's. Uh, and uh, at the time, I didn't know, of course, when I was 12 years old. But Walt was uh, was all of our avuncular fathers, and so it meant a lot to me. It was a big deal, and I uh, boarded the monorail and I traveled around to the to the Disneyland Hotel and around the park and so forth. I couldn't shake it, frankly. It was quite life changing. So that's a bit of the story, but um, uh, it connects to many other aspects that yeah, we can so, get into. So let, let's jump ahead from you were 12 years old and you met Walt, but let's jump forward here. When did you meet George Powell and how did you get involved with really becoming uh, his archivist, if you will, and, and his champion now that he's been gone for so many years? Again, it was one of those, almost a cosmic, uh, a cosmic event in many ways. I was working on a film in Los Angeles uh, it was a fantasy film. And uh, one of my friends, Dan O'Bannon, who, who wrote Alien, uh, was very close to. And uh, he was helping me with the project. And he said to me, uh, you should really take your, your film to George Powell. And at that time, uh, I didn't really know. I wasn't following George at that time, as I was in my earlier years, which I'll talk about. And, uh, and so that's how it happened. It was arranged. And I met him at his house in Beverly Hills. And I presented my project to him. And what year was this about? 
Uh, that was in 1980. Uh, let's see. Excuse me. 19. To go back a decade, it was it was 19 it was 1978, 79, 80 period. I think it was 1979, and uh, and I stayed in touch with him after that for about a period of a year. He passed away uh, in 1980. Right. And so it had a big effect on me. It was pretty hard. And I was friends with Mrs. Powell and uh, stayed in touch with her and told her, you know, we really need to do something. We need to do some kind of a tribute to George. Nothing had been done. And that was in 1980. It wasn't a great year for me. My father passed away in 1980. Uh, it was a series of events but I stayed on top of the idea of doing something for George, some kind of a, a tribute. And uh, it wasn't until four years later that I ended up starting the process of making a film about his life, which was called The Fantasy Film Worlds of George Powell. And that's a documentary. It's a documentary. Yeah. Uh, it showed on the Disney Channel. And that was a result of my friendship with Roy Disney and uh, a number of people at the studio. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of, the, I mean, we can, uh, the, the, the earlier story though, I guess the story that you probably want to hear is when I was a kid growing up, uh, I, um, you know, I, I saw, I was a matinee kid. I went to the movies and, uh, I spent a lot of time in watching films. There was a time where it was a wonderful time to be alive. You know, the movies yeah. were only 50 cents. Uh, I think it was even a quarter when I first started, and um, and they jumped it up to 50 cents. Uh, it was 1959, I think, was the time machine that first introduced me to George. Uh, I was nine years old then, and it really took my breath away. Uh, and his film was so awe-inspiring, uh, filled with um, a sense of awe and childhood wonder, which was so much a big part of Powell's films. Uh, he had that wonderful sense of fantasy and fairy tale, and very much like Walt Disney. And the films and the people that most influenced me during that period uh, were Walt, uh, George Powell, Ray Harryhausen, mm -hmm. and Cecil B. DeMille. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that they would all coalesce into one person, and that became George Powell, because George Powell was friends with Walt Disney, uh, he was uh, he hired Ray Harryhausen for his first job in Hollywood. Uh, he uh, worked with Cecil B. DeMille. Um, it seems like all the things that I looked up to as a kid, all the things that, that really made me who I am, all coalesced into George Powell. And I think in some ways it's a miracle story because of how that all happened. It's nothing that I planned. It's nothing that I really... Uh, even knew about at the time. I didn't know the connections of all these things at the time. And it suddenly just sort of happened. And that is what led me to this wonderful experience of really opening the doors to the industry in a way that I never imagined. And a lot of that is due to Mrs. Powell, who was just wonderful. She was almost a second mother to me. Mm. And, um, and I also learned that they're from Hungary. George was born in Selgrid, and uh, Mrs. Powell is Budapest, and they were Hungarian. And I just happened to be half Hungarian um, on my grandmother's side. So you're part of the tribe. 
I'm part of the tribe. And that was a miracle in of itself. I, I didn't know all these connections. I didn't piece them together. Yeah. And so uh, the Hungarian aspect really became, uh, as time goes on, as the years go by, I start to recognize what all that means and how that impacted me and why I kind of understand some of these relationships. Um, but Mrs. Powell helped open the doors for me when I did my film. And that was an experience and a half because I learned of all the connections that George had in the movie industry and all the people that he helped, all the people that admired him, all the people uh, that uh, got a break because of him or learned from him or influenced by him. And my film has, a, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it has a probably 35 well-known icons in the film. Sure. And uh, so every one of them is a story. And I, I, yeah, I, I want to step back, though, for a second, because you mentioned that, you know, George is, uh, and his wife are from Hungary. He, he's a Hungarian animator. Uh, he graduated from the Hungarian University of Fine Arts. Uh, and he was making short films in Europe uh, for a period of time uh, until 1939 when the Nazis came to power and invaded Holland. Uh, and, uh, and he immigrated to the United States, as did so many other people when, when, the, when World War II was beginning to uh, break out uh, in Europe. That's right. And, and, and so I, I'm trying to, you know, we, we were, you were talking a little bit about his live action work with time machine and, and he started doing live action films in the fifties and into the sixties. And so, but uh, I really want to talk a little bit and drill into these animated films and the, the, the puppet tunes because he actually patented a, a production technique uh, and so can you dive into a little bit of that and how he came to Los Angeles and, and, you know, got into the business, so to speak here? Well, it did. It's, as you said, you're correct. It started in, in Europe. Uh, he was, uh, uh, born in Hungary and, uh, he, uh, he came from an actor's family. Uh, but he said he didn't want to have anything to do with the stage. Uh, but believe me, the stage found him. Uh, he was a natural-born showman, uh, but he he went he studied uh, to be an architect instead of going into the theater. And at the time, there was a bit of a slump, and there was nothing to build. He said, so he became he he could draw because he was a he had uh, learned uh, uh, the uh, architecture, so he, he was uh, so he could draw. So he uh, did a lot of cartooning. He helped uh, medical students at the school to make money, and he did medical drawings, but eventually became a cartoonist, film posters and uh, cartooning with a Hunia studio in uh, Budapest. And eventually, uh, he left uh, Budapest with Joka, uh, Mrs. Powell, uh, who have met, they've now married. That was his bride. That was his sweetheart. And uh, he moved to Germany, where he, be, where he became the head of UFA. UFA was the largest film studio of Europe at the time. And he, and he became the head of the film department uh, in, uh, at 21 years old. Uh, he, was, I, he was a bit of a prodigy, there's no doubt about it. And he made animated cartoons 
drawings. He drew animated cartoons and a number of them in my films, the ones I've been archiving uh, on my Puppetoon movie two and three, I've, I've, uh, these things can be seen. I've restored many of these films. Uh, and uh, so he did, he did the cell animation. But then as the story goes, the legend, so to speak, uh, he said he was, um, he was so bored drawing. Uh, he, he was actually, the, the way the real story, when Mrs. Powell was telling me, he, was playing, he, he smoked cigarettes at the time and he was playing with a cigarette. And it, was, it sort of dawned him on him when he was holding the cigarette that, to, that maybe that might be the future of what I want to be doing. And so as he says the story, he, he was bored drawing uh, drawings. So he picked up the telephone. He was doing a cigarette commercial and he called up the sponsor it was the Overstall cigarette company. And he said, what if, what if I take your own cigarettes and I animate them in three dimension and you'll see the trademark on every frame. And the sponsor loved the idea. And so he started to, is start to uh, animate cigarettes to music. And he had them marching and so forth. And eventually he put heads on them, mouths so they could talk, legs so they could walk. He basically took the flat cartoon and turned it into three dimension. And as he called it, they were the color cartoons in three dimensions. And that was his big idea. And so he was doing this stop motion idea of three-dimensional animation. And at the same time, he was also doing cell animation. And he went from uh, Germany, because he was always having to stay one step ahead of Hitler, as you mentioned, yeah, and the Nazis. And uh, uh, there's, there's an interesting story about that, but I don't know if we have time to talk about it, about well, what happened. I, I, I was going to say, why don't, you, why don't you go into it? Because I, I'd love to hear it, and I think our audience would love to hear it, you know, because there has been little uh, stories about the fact that uh, Hitler liked animation. Well, uh, it's true. He did. And uh, the studio UFA was very popular in animation because they did a lot of great films at the time. But uh, my story has more to do with the, the tragedy of Hitler. And what happened to George was in his animation studio, the uh, brown shirts came into his studio. Mrs. Powell told me the story and they basically pulled out one of the animators and uh, they, they presumably practically beat him to death. Um, and uh, see, George was a foreign national in Germany at the time. And all foreign nationals were being, uh, being watched, essentially. No. And uh, Mrs. Powell, had the, both of them had the prescience to say, you know, maybe we should leave Germany. Uh, we should get out of here. Sometimes I think about that here in the United States. So I don't hate to say it, but I have some of those senses now. We've, I hope we don't go in that direction. Yeah. But uh, George, uh, George and Joker left Germany and then in his, with his portable camera he had, he basically went from Czechoslovakia, made films there, and he went to Paris and made animated films there, and eventually landed in Eindhoven, Holland, in the Netherlands, as a result of a company called the Philips Company, which you all know today is sure. one of the big, yes, the, one, one of the, the big, big electronics companies, yeah, in in the world, and they still yeah. exist. The wonderful thing about Europe, European companies, is they last forever. I mean, they make up, these companies build up 
from nothing and they are still they are still active and there's many companies like that it's quite admirable about Europe and uh, and certainly Philips is one of them and they help sponsor George's making commercial films for the Philips company and uh, George turned these uh, basically what were really commercials into story films and they were shown in movie theaters just like commercials are shown on television today and they were a huge hit uh, George was called the Walt Disney of Europe hmm. he was so recognized at the time and of course that is what eventually got him to the attention of Walt because of his, his uh, the fame that he was getting from doing these films and uh, so he did a lot of these for a year. He set up the largest dimensional cartoon factory in Europe in Eindhoven. It lasted for nearly eight years. Wow. And he turned out dozens of these films. Uh, but he longed to come to America. Mrs. Powell, too, wanted to come to America. And George had made visits over to Hollywood and New York during that time. He met Walt. He met other people. Eventually, he was uh, uh, given a deal by Paramount Pictures to make his puppet tunes in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that began his, the next phase of his, of his career. So he was doing uh, animated films. Actually, as I say, he headed up three studios before he ever made a feature film uh, in, in Germany and Eindhoven and at Paramount before he ever uh, made, uh, got into the feature film business. So the guy had a lot of experience and, uh, and did a lot of things in the in the field of animation and special effects. Yeah, really I'm, was, I'm, yeah. I'm curious if you can just elaborate a little bit more on his relationship with Walt Disney. I think our audience would be really keen on on hearing some of that because obviously Walt was aware of his competition, so to speak, in the animation world. But when did they actually meet, and how did that friendship develop? Uh, as far as I know, it happened in the in the 1930s. Uh, he was uh, one of one of George's films showed at the San Francisco World's Fair. I believe it was in 1939, which Walt did. Walt, Walt had done a film for, I believe. That's right. And George George's films showed there as well, and it was seen by a lot of the animators. And uh, that's one of the films that was brought to their attention at the time. But even before that happened, George, uh, Walt was already very aware. You have to remember, this is a very interesting time. Uh, Walt was striving for three-dimensional animation. I mean, his whole thing was to take uh, the flat cartoon and turn it into three-dimension, as you can see what he did with his feature films and the triple-plane animation stand. And here George Powell comes along doing three-dimensional animation in real time. And it, it just blew their minds when they saw it. And I, I got these stories directly from the animators because I knew three of the nine old men, uh, friends of mine, Ward Kimball, Mark Davis, Frank and Ollie, uh, and, and actually a couple of others. But they, they are the ones who kind of related the stories to me. And again, this blew my mind. When I heard about this and they were telling me, Ward particularly, who I loved, uh, told me, uh, who I interviewed for my film, I spent the whole day at his uh, his train his train house, you know, and um, he told me that uh, all the animators were seen. Walt would bring in the puppet tunes and show them to the animators at the studio, and they all remember them dearly. And they were they were very very uh, big hit during the nineteen forties. Yeah. 
-hmm. Anyone who went to movies during that time know the puppet tunes. Uh, they were they were a revelation to audiences at that time. They'd never seen anything like it. And, and and George subsequently was nominated a number of times throughout the 1940s for an Academy Award for those That's films, right? Absolutely. He was nominated seven times for Academy Awards, and he eventually won an Academy Award in 1944 for the creation of the Puppetoons. And that was his first uh, that was his first Academy Award, one of many that he would to win. Now, who who is he losing out to? on those nominations. A lot of it was Walt, right? Walt yeah. and, uh, and, and other, uh, other Warner, brother, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Yeah. But what's an interesting story, man, about Walt. Now, the story about Walt is very dear to me because Walt, as you know, has such an importance to all of us, but to me has such great importance. Um, and, uh, George and him were friends, uh, and they were, at that time, uh, the way Hollywood worked is they actually talked to one another. They were, uh, it was like a gentleman's kind of world, and they would have lunches. And so that the tops of the major studios there, you had Leo Basusto over at uh, um, MGM, you had Leon Schlesinger at Warner Brothers, uh, you had Walter Lance, uh, you had Walt Disney, uh, and they would all get together for lunch. Every month, pretty much, they would have a lunch meeting together and they would talk about the industry. They would trade stories about what they're working on. Walter told me a lot about this. I was very good friends with Walter and uh, how they would to trade even animators. They would trade uh, stories and so forth. Uh, it was a wonderful time. It was a very creative time. Uh, competition was not quite the same. And, and Roy... Roy explained this to me and my wonderful relationship with Roy and how um, and how the industry really worked back then. It was uh, very much a gentleman's uh, industry. It isn't such, so much as a, you know, difficult, difficult business that it is today. And so that's what happened. So animators, an animator from Disney, for instance, came over and worked at the Puppetoons. And one of the most famous animators that you'll certainly your, your listeners know uh, is Fred Moore. Fred Moore, who did uh, the uh, uh, Dwarves and Snow White. He designed Mickey Mouse, probably the greatest Mickey Mouse of all time. The one we all love from The Sorcerer's Apprentice and a, and a myriad of other uh, films. Anyway, uh, two of key characters in the Puppetoons were designed by Fred, uh, Punchy and Judy, who appear in the Puppetoon movie volume two and three. And so uh, uh, that, that's important. And there are other animators in two uh, as well. Uh, George was a um, non-discriminating employee as far as uh, many, as, as Duke Goldstone told me, who was an editor and a director himself, who did a couple of his uh, feature films. He said there were many accents spoken at the Puppetoon studios. People from all over the world work there. And uh, uh, and he had people from other studios working there. And he had um, he was an equal opportunity employer. There were women working there, model makers and doll makers and animators. Uh, there were different races. Um, he certainly exemplified the black race with many films that uh, honored their culture. Uh, he did that in other ways with other cultures and. Uh, I think it was his foreign influence because he was from Europe. 
he was very different than the the person people the animators say in America. So when George came over, he wasn't really a threat. He was so different. He was so new. It's so fresh what he was doing that everyone gravitated toward what George was working on. Uh, plus, George was just an incredibly wonderful guy. He was the sweetest guy that ever lived. And people loved him. And so that was that also helped as well. So he had everything. His pa- He had a full package of, of traits that were very, very special. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, um, where where can people see some of these Puppetoon movies? Are they are they on any of the streaming platforms right now? No, right now it's pretty much exclusive to what I've been doing. Uh, I made the Puppetoon movie, 1987. And then decades later, I ended up doing Puppetoon movie two. It just came out last December. <clears throat> After trying to get these things restored for years, there were rights issues and mm. all sorts of things. So they can be seen on Puppetoon Movie uh, Volume 2, puppetoon.org, for your listeners, yeah. is where people would go. And they can select Puppetoon 2. Puppetoon 3 is currently in restoration. I'm involved in uh, probably 25 additional films right now. And Paramount is working with me, supplying me some of the successive exposure negatives for these films. Wow. And they are mind-boggling when you oh, see. Oh no, the, that's for our audience. The successive exposure film is basically three strip, uh, and, and well, I shouldn't say three strip. It's three successive frames that represent three separate color records, and it's the same process that Walt Disney used on his films. So, if you think of Snow White, the actual negative for Snow White is three times as long as the film is because there is a separate uh, color record for uh, e- each of your three colors uh, that make up essentially all the colors in the world, right? I That's mean, absolutely correct. It, and it also, go ahead. I, I was going to say magenta, cyan, and uh, yellow. It's basically red, blue, and green, but you're correct. That's the yeah. actual precise color, you're yeah. right? And uh, they have to be recombined. So these successive negatives have to be handled very carefully, and only sure. two two studios in Hollywood can do it. And, more, and Paramount... Uh, only allows these two companies to do it. And they have to, uh, Technicolor is the company, which is now sure. another company, but Technicolor does the uh, preservation and the recombining of these negatives. And I'm able to get this, and then I start the restoration after that. But yeah. each one of these successive negatives takes a long, long time to do, and it's yeah. very expensive. And uh, Paramount has been helping me do that. And uh, I was after it for many, many, many years trying to do this. So it's very, it's, it's, it's not only historic, it's landmark. Yeah. Uh, and the people that are seeing it, it's a revelation to see these films. And when you see the quality, uh, you would think they were just made. They're absolutely um, uh, jaw-droppingly beautiful. Now, are they are they using digital technology like targeting to line up the three color records? Uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. So, so Technicolor essentially is scanning everything now, right? And doing right. and doing the digital recombines. That's right, but that's not the way it always was done. Uh, right. A decade ago, they used to use YCM, which was all done on film. Yeah, and it's, and that's even a much more expensive process, and the mm-hmm. process all has to be done on film and then processed in film. Now it's done digitally, which is uh, uh, probably a little more uh, convenient 
to do. But there is some issue about the, pres- the, the longevity of the digital world. And that's why a lot of the studios were resistant to doing digital because they still wanted the film record of these films. And that is one of the things that uh, uh, it keeps coming back in terms of the conversation. But that seems to be what's happening now. It seems to be all going in the digital direction. Uh, and I don't I have a mixed opinion about it. I'm not uh, film has film has lasted a long time. And if you have a negative on a film, uh, it's good for could be 150 years the way it's starting to look for some films if, if it's preserved properly. And the real question with the digital world is how long will each of these digital machinations last before they become outmoded and upgraded? And there needs to be another one made of the prior one and yeah. the prior one. And it becomes a bit of a, a question mark. Uh, whereas if you have the negative, you have the negative and that's it. And but that's not the way we're going right now. And I think why people like Martin Scorsese with the Film Foundation and the other people that are doing this want to preserve the films themselves so we can have a record of those actual films. And fortunately for the puppetoons, of course, which is amazing, not all cartoons have successive negatives. Right. All of George's puppetoons are in successive negative form, uh, as opposed to Fleischer and a lot of other ones that were made. And that is a miracle. And that's what makes these, that's what makes this doing of these projects now. So, so extraordinary. Yeah. I, you know, I, the, the one thing I would interject here is that the Walt Disney studios have done an amazing job with their restoration of their film library, especially all the animated classics. And, and when I was at the studio, I was involved in, in some of that restoration work for the animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, what they were doing uh, uh, on all of those uh, films was they were doing 4k scans of the successive exposure negative and then creating a new safety negative because a lot of those negatives of the early films, uh, they're nitrate. That's right. Uh, and they've been preserved as much as you possibly can preserve them and care for them. But the nitrate does break down over time. Uh, and those negatives, those original negatives will eventually turn to dust you know, and, uh, and so they're making a duplicate negative of each of those successive exposure negatives that are nitrate. And that's what uh, UCLA has done that with a number of the puppetoons, uh, that were done this way, but not everyone is being done that way. A number of them are being done now, uh, may not have that negative done. Uh, they're still, uh, so that it is a concern. It definitely is a concern. And Disney, of course, is exceptional yeah. uh, to, to any of the other studios. There's really no, no one comparable to what Disney has done. And, and, and to their credit, um, I, uh, and I had an experience along those lines, by the way, which was sort of interesting. Um, there are many Disney connections to PAL. I have a whole list of them here to try to remember them all. But uh, when I was doing the Puppetoon movie, uh, Disney actually worked on it. Uh, the the studio worked on it, uh, and uh, they used to had a graphic department. There was a fellow there named Ed Garber, and Ed Garber did all the titles and a lot uh-huh. of work. Do you remember Ed? No, I know the name. Yeah, yeah. And Ed uh, Ed did a lot of the uh, work, and I and I uh, it was Roy that uh, as a result of my relationship with Roy, who just 
opened the studio up to me, to all the departments. He was absolutely a gem, and you know. I love him because of it. Well, I think, and, you know, I, I have to say, Ar Ar Arnold, I knew Roy very well, and the one thing I would say about him was he really cared about uh, the art form, and he also was very much in tune with preserving the history uh, as a record for the future. Absolutely. He was just fabulous. Uh, uh, and actually, uh, meeting him, uh, I was a little uh, maybe different than your approach, but uh, when I was doing the film, I, I, I was put in touch with him. I may have written him a letter, and I was put in touch with him, and he responded so uh, graciously to me uh, because he knew who George Powell was and mm -hmm. he knew the relationship of these things. And so he's a pretty, he was a pretty smart cookie. Oh, yeah. uh, he really was. And, uh, and he, uh, he underestimate really uh, Roy's um, abilities, his contributions. A lot of people, uh, you know, uh, you know, some of the stories, he was the nephew and he was doing these other films, but he, he's a pretty smart cookie and he really did uh uh, for me, he was quite extraordinary in terms of how he helped me with the uh, films, his appreciation of uh, the uh, of Pal and his relationship to the Disney Studios. You know, Walt wanted George to work for him, of course. Uh, you know, George was his own man. I mean, he was his own uh, uh, pioneer. So it was understandable. But uh, but all of that is known by the animators and the people that really is a legacy of the Disney Studios. Pal fits into it very closely. It was greatly admired. But anyway, with Ed, when I was doing the Puppetoon movie, uh, we I wanted to do a title sequence that was like Pinocchio. Uh, and because I love the early uh, classic Disney films uh, more than anything, they represent the zenith of greatness. And, uh, and I wanted to, uh, to emulate that in my opening title sequence. So Ed said to me, well, well, why don't we go into the archives and why don't we take a look at Pinocchio? And I said, you, you got to be kidding me. And this is when a lot of that material was at the studio. They didn't have it in a separate building. Yeah. It was at a studio. So, you know, he takes me down the corridor to a, to a room, you know, several rooms. I go in the room and in the room is, are the cells from Pinocchio. I mean, it isn't just Pinocchio. It's it's Snow White. It's Pinocchio. It's uh, every animated film. And for me, I mean, it was like being in a toy store. I felt like I I felt I was just reborn. Uh, literally, it was a uh, like a religious experience. Literally, <laughs> it was a religious experience. I understand. I understand your feelings. <laughs> you know, I mean, just I, I mean, please. So he's opening the drawers up. And he's showing me the cells, the actual cells for Pinocchio. And I'm looking at the backgrounds and I'm looking at the designs. And he wanted to show me the kind of thing that we could do for this opening thing we were doing that he could emulate. And so I got to pick this, the, basically the look of the backgrounds of Pinocchio for my, my opening sequence in uh, the Puppetoon movie. And that was just one small contribution, but that, a major contribution, but one small story of the influence. And, uh, and so that, that, that was very, really, really special for me. Um, I also had a fellow named uh, Joshua Metter's son, a film Metter. Oh, yeah, Phil Metter. Uh -huh. Phil Metter. Uh, Joshua, his father, was the great special effect 
uh, man at this. Yeah. At the, he, he, he was one of the uh, original founding members of the uh, special effects department at, at the uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios. And he was just a, a just a genius, really. He did all the great stuff we, we are so familiar with on the early animated films. Mm -hmm. uh, some of those great effects sequences in Pinocchio and in Snow White. And, and you, uh, you, we know what those are. I mean, and uh, just an amazing ability. Anyway, his son followed in his father's footsteps and became the head of the uh, the uh, um, film department in uh, at the studio. And so I needed some help with some uh, film uh, uh, animation I wanted, was doing for my project. So again, during because of the relationship, I got to do work with the Triple Plane Animation Stand. Uh, doing uh, some animation stuff uh, with uh, with the studio, and Phil uh, Phil's the one that did that. Yeah, and you're uh, and you're talking about the multiplane camera. The multiplane camera, yeah. exactly. And that was a wonderful experience too. Again, this is these are all religious experiences. You know, I'm having these amazing experiences at the <laughs> studio with my film, and I I spent an awful lot of time at the studio yeah. during this period. Um, and I became friends with Howard Green and a lot of people there, as you know. Sure. And uh, and so um, it's very special for me uh, all these all these stories that I have with the, with Walt Disney, and not to mention um, a couple of other important people too. Uh, this is a Disney show, so I I want to talk about Disney quite a bit, but we'll get back to George. Um, I also had Paul Freeze as the narrator for the Puppetoon movie and for the fantasy film worlds of George Pal, Which, which uh, our, our audience should be familiar with Paul Freeze because he did a lot of narration of attractions at Disneyland. He was a ghost host of the Haunted Mansion, which most people know mostly. Yeah. And he did so many other uh, animated. He was Ludwig von Drake. He was, uh, he was the voice of a thousand characters. And he was for George Pal. He did Time Machine, War of the Worlds, many of his films. So when it came time for me to do my film, the decision was very obvious and easy for me. I wanted Paul to do the voice, not just for narration, but he was also the animated characters in the Puppetoon movie as well. And so Paul and I worked together, and it was actually the last two films that he made before he passed away, both of my films. Uh, and they're dedicated, uh, Puppet 2 movies dedicated to Paul. Yeah. Uh, and so um, that's a very, that's, that's quite important. And the music was done by uh, uh, Buddy Baker, Norman yeah. D. Buddy Baker. N another Disney connection. Another great Disney connection. And Buddy was, uh, again, uh, music of uh, the wonderful world of Disney, uh, ranging on Zorro, the Mickey Mouse Club, uh, and at Epcot Center and uh, the uh, parks did the music for so many of the exhibits. And that's how I got to connect to him because of my love of the music at Epcot and realizing that Buddy had done them for some of the things that I love the most from the park, the American Adventure and from mm -hmm. France and some of the shows that I admired. And then the other thing, so Buddy was the composer for me on that film. And Buddy was actually my access to the parks, similar to your experiences at the parks. Uh, got me behind the scenes of the of the uh, of the studio, so I had to be there with, like you were, with the VIP to see the underneath belly 
of the parks. Mm -hmm. And it was because of Buddy that, that I was able to accomplish that. Another dream come true for me uh, to be able to access all the secrets that I wanted to know about at the, stu at the various uh, rides and so forth. Um, so uh, again, as you can see, the connections are many, many, uh, many. So, uh, but I'll leave it at that. I, uh, we should be focused on PAL now. Yeah, you know, I I do want to. Uh, so I mean, I, th these are such wonderful stories. But but I I keep wanting to go back to um, you know when I watch some of these films. Uh, what struck me on some of them was the design of the puppets, and there's almost a Mary Blair quality uh, in, in the design of some of the puppets, and uh, and the coloration. You know, the pattern and things like that, which really struck me. Uh, and, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how much George was involved in the actual design of some of these characters and, and that kind of a thing. Well, a lot of it, I think you hit a little bit when you talk about Mary Blair. It's interesting because there's a European intra, uh, influence there uh, that is clear. It, comes, it really comes from George's love of the fairy tale. And as you know, the fairy tale comes from Europe. Yeah. Uh, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, George made the first Sleeping Beauty. He made it in the 1930s. He made his uh, early Sleeping Beauty film. It's one of the commercial films he did. Uh, he, uh, he, he really understood fairy tale. And that's what led him into science fiction and fantasy because they're all basically fairy tale. But the designs that come from that world comes from that European influence uh, from the Brothers Grimm mm -hmm. uh, from that period. That's where these the influence of this uh, style comes from. And uh, and all of these woodworkers and doll makers that were doing these films are almost like Geppetto like uh, characters making these thousands of handmade and lathe made uh, puppets and what your audience should understand about the puppet tunes is George came up with the idea of something called the replacement figure puppet and what the replacement figure puppet is is that for every frame of film it's pre-designed and pre-constructed meaning to say that every frame has a separate puppet or puppet part that's mm -hmm. replaced each frame of film so if you have, uh, let's say you uh, have 12,000 frames in an, in an average puppet tune, each of those 12,000 frames has a separate part of a, bo a body or a part of a puppet that's changed interchangeably frame to frame. It isn't like uh, King Kong, for instance. Right. Uh, which is manipulated by a single puppet. With George, he made individual parts and puppet parts that were recycled. So he'd make, in the early days, there would be 5,000 individually made puppet parts for a film as time went on it was less there were hundreds in, and and they would be recycled as they made the film and that's what gives it its fluidity but also it's astonishing because it's wood these are wood figures they're not clay they're not plastic right. they're made of wood and each one has a slight variation of an expression or a movement of a leg or a walk or or something that is truly mind-boggling and uh, all of that's pre-designed. And that style comes from the European influence of doll making. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, as, and as Roy and I discussed when we were together during that time, uh, it's really the influence for Disneyland. Because It's a Small World, for instance, is a puppet tune. Uh, 
and uh, that's the best example. Yeah. Uh, but many of audio animatronics comes from George's puppetoon uh, work that he was doing in the 1930s and 40s. A lot of those designs, because I spoke to so many of the animators and people that worked on that, they all know that style. Yeah, and I, 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 I want to uh, uh, just make the comment that I know Al John's going to put some links into the show notes uh, for some of these uh, puppetoon trailers and, and clips and stuff. And when people see some of the puppetoon animation, they're immediately going to go, oh, my gosh, small world. Because that that I, that's one of the impressions I had when I first saw it uh, a number of years ago. I was like, "Wow, that's that's like that predates Disneyland. It's got to have been an inspiration." It was, and Roy Roy was able to confirm that too because he was. We spoke. He spoke to a lot of the animators, and of course, that was part of the story that I was learning at the same time as how that influence was really coming through. It it's quite obvious. I mean, Pal's influence was quite uh, quite epic in many ways. The story of Pal is an epic story of how his influence was so um, broad in the industry. Uh, he was uh, he was just a, such a unique uh, creator and innovator, pioneer of so many techniques that were ended up using in the industry later on. The Puppetoons is the beginning. It was really the way he learned about special effects, as I said, which led into when he made his feature films, Destination Moon, War of the Worlds, The Time Machine, which influenced me so much. It was his use of time-lapse photography and uh, frame-by-frame animation and puppetry that really influenced those films. And so there's a link there. But there also there's an interesting thing I also talk about and that's the visionary, the aspect of going from animation into the world of the future. And Ward and I talked about this, and so did Roy and other people at the studio, is that link again, where Walt himself started out in animation. You know, it started out in just the most simple form of animation that became this dimensional animation. And that eventually led to the technologies of tomorrow with the parks and what he ended up focusing his life on. And there's a bit of the futurist that exists in the mind of the animator. And I found that I found an interesting link between George Powell and Walt Disney in the sense that they both started in animation and they both went into future worlds together. George went into science fiction and fantasy, starting with simple puppetry and stop motion animation and, 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 Walt did the same thing. He started with drawings and it ended up becoming animatronics and technology. And then he went even further and said, you know what? I think we should have better tomorrows, make better worlds with new technologies, which is what Epcot was supposed to be. And so there's something, and that's where he was. I mean, even to the day that Walt died, you know the story with Roy, where he was dreaming about the future. He was dreaming about the world that we could live in, the better world that we'd have for tomorrow. And that was George. George was thinking about, he wasn't thinking about the past. He was always thinking about a better day, a better tomorrow, a better future. And that's where he lived his life. He lived his life in the future. And they I, were both. 
You, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think it's, it's really the evolution of an artist. Uh, when you look at George Powell or you look at Walt Disney, I mean, with George Powell, he, like you said, he started out in animation and he evolves into live action. Uh, you know, Walt Disney started out as a, as an actual cartoonist who then started doing animation, who then evolved into doing uh, theme parks yes. uh, and, and audio animatronics and, and all of those kinds of things. So you're, you're talking about uh, people who are uh, evolving as artists. And that's really I, I think you because you, I was going to ask the question, why did George Powell stop doing animated films? That's, the story is is very simple. He said uh, he he said he wanted to take off his short pants shorts and put on his long pants features. That was the, that was his European way of saying it and go into feature films. But it was more than that. Part of it had to do with the cost of animation, uh, the the making of the animated film. George always wanted to make features. I mean, he was interested in features even from the beginning. He was trying to make longer feature animation even when he was doing the early puppet tunes and i think his desire to make longer forms was inherent in his nature and so it was it was natural for him to make that leap from the film uh the short film into the long film and he did it he did it in actually a very surprising way because a lot of people are animators but they don't necessarily reinvent an entire genre while they're doing it mm. i mean george became the father of the modern science fiction and fantasy film. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what he's been called. He, he becomes this incredibly influential animator, and then he becomes the father of science fiction with Time Machine and War of the Worlds, which is really the seminal uh, science fiction movie of the 1950s. Uh, War of the Worlds alone changed the sure. industry. Yeah, And he, he had a tremendous influence, uh, George, in that way. An interesting story, though, of uh, another connection, Walt's connection, is uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, That was a George Powell project. George was working on 20,000 Leagues for years. He was trying to do it. And of course, again, getting back to the nature of the gentlemanly way the industry works, Walt was interested in doing the film, uh, doing 20,000 Leagues. And he basically, they met, they talked. He says, I'm interested. If, if if, if If you're willing, I'd like to do it. And it was sort of a gentleman's agreement where George would let go and he was moving on with other things and Walt ended up taking over 20,000 leagues. It was just the way the industry worked back then. Mm. But a lot of people don't know that story. And, um, but that's, uh, that's, that's just part of the, this is, this is the part of who these people were. It was a different world we were living in at that time. Uh, it was, it was a world of creators and artists and, uh, who were, bit, who were running their studios who were running their studios. They had, yeah. ex- they had control over their mastery of their worlds. Yeah. And it, it allowed for a lot of free flow of ideas, a lot of creative input and excitement, just like you experienced when you were working at the animation studio at Disney. It, there's something about that world. If it's handled right, that gives an artist a great amount of freedom and um, conge- congeniality. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what was expressed in these in these early men, these early fathers of of our industry, yeah. uh, that had that quality, and we miss that today. We miss that. We miss that um, that ancestral 
quality of uh, of humanity and and forward thinking ideas that we've lost so much of. Yeah. And and so it's been it's been stomped on by the suits, by the suits, <laughs> by the suits. It is. It's true. I and know. I, I, and most people, most people in the industry listening will will uh, chuckle at that because it is true. You it know? Is, it's they, very they know, true. They know it's true. Yeah. And I had a very hard time. I mean, I had to make the transition, as you know. I ended up making doing a remake of the Time Machine in nineteen in two thousand two with yeah. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And uh, the, the the leap that I had to take from doing things really on my own in a renaissance way, so to speak, which is what I'm doing now, thank God. And then working into that industry world, uh, it's really a day and night situation. And uh, uh, you have an army of people working on things and your individual voice can often be lost in the process and undermined. And it becomes very, can often become very, very difficult. And this is a story you've heard repeated a thousand times by a thousand filmmakers. Yeah. But that's unfortunately where we are. But that's why I like, that's why I like to dwell in this world, the world that you are doing, Dave, and dwell the world of this period that is really the glory period for us in the industry. That's and, and you know the other thing too, I have to say, Arnie, is that I I love the the uh, the the restoration and the the uh, archiving and you know preserving of this material because you know if, if it's not for people like you and others in the, in the industry, some of this material will be lost to time, and, and that's really I I have to say you know something that you you can't let happen. Um, I, I'd like to know more from you as to where people can see more of the puppetoons aside from DVD. I mean, are you having conversations? Are, is there an opportunity to get some of this material onto the Paramount Network or, you know, there's their streaming service or uh, any of that? And also, what about the Motion Picture Academy? Are, are there any opportunities for screening some of this material at the new Academy Museum in Los Angeles. Um, I have so many questions for you. I'm just going to throw out a couple more. What, what about the puppets? Have any of the puppets survived? They have. Uh, they have. Okay. I have. I have a couple right here. I can show you. Nice. But we're not on. We're, we're not on a, a film. The uh, film podcast. But I can. I. I yes, they have survived. I often show them. I, I did an interview with Joe Dante for his trailers from hell. And I, I did a comparison of two of the puppets for the actual puppet and one of the demonstration puppets uh, I have. Uh, we have time. I can do this privately. I can show you some of this stuff. Oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to you see know. it after we finish the show here. Yeah, I can show that. Uh, yeah. As far as these screenings and so forth, absolutely. Uh, UCLA wants to do a, and I've been talking to them about doing a puppetoon show uh, for the preservation series because they've been involved in this for yeah. many, many years. So that's, I'm hoping that will happen. Uh, Randy uh, Haberkamp, I've talked to. Yeah, Randy's, Academy. R- yeah Randy's a great guy. There, there should absolutely be some kind of a program with puppetoons at the Academy. And we are going to do that. Absolutely. What I'm trying to do is get these finished yeah. enough so I can present the program, which would have a number of the puppetoons in them. I've also done it for Turner Classic Movies because I've been on the network with Ben Mankiewicz and we've shown the puppetoon movie, which by the way, if people are interested, 
if you go to puppetune.org, you can click the Puppetune movie and watch it uh, basically free with commercials on uh, Tubi and Amazon right now. You can watch oh, it right okay. now. If you go on Tubi, you go on um, puppetune.org, yeah. just click it, you'll find it. You can also buy the Puppetune movie volume two, which it helps the cause <laughs> to keep continue the restorations. Puppetune three that's going on right now. Uh, I'm, it's, a, it's actually a, a crowd funder, but I'm doing it anyway. I mean, despite sure. whatever money's come in, I continue the process no matter what. Uh, and the quality of these things is just, I mean, I just got one yesterday that took almost a year to completion. It's been completed. It's uh, really astounding. Western Days, which is the first puppetune he made for Paramount in 1940. Ray Harryhausen's first job in Hollywood. Wow. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary, spectacular puppetune. And, and um, how long is that, that film? Uh, about eight minutes. Eight minutes. Eight minutes and 30 seconds. It took a year for Paramount to get it preserved yeah. between them and Technicolor. And the rest of the time for us to get it restored and cleaned and graded. Sure. So for that, will I would like to show that at the academy. I'd like to show it at UCLA. Maybe we can we can talk about this day. Maybe we can come up with some idea for yeah. doing it. I actually was in touch with Mindy Johnson about maybe doing something for Disney, having yeah. a Disney some kind of a show at the studio at uh, the parks. Yeah, or something. We should talk about that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I really do. Uh, uh, and, uh, and and and. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because it, it sort of struck me, was, was George involved with Gumby and Pokey at all? Um, uh, and, <laughs> and I asked that because I was watching one of the trailers and uh, Gumby and Pokey are in the trailer. That's right. And in the Puppetune movie, my decision I made was what was the most famous, uh, an, you know, dimensionally animated uh, character of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, who was it? And if you really were to put your finger on, who would it be? Gumby, really turn, of all the characters, who's only a clay character, turns out to be probably one of the most famous yeah. uh, character, popularized, of course, by Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live and a lot of other things. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I but, love Gumby. I love um, Gumby, you know. I, yeah. mean, uh, I mean, but... I decided, you know, if I, I want to do this tribute, a lot of people should watch the Puppetoon movie. So what I did is I got, uh, I, I contacted Art Clokey, who created Gumby. Yeah. And I talked to him and I said, uh, I'm doing the Puppetoon movie. I would love to use uh, Gumby and Pokey and characters for the film. And uh, he stopped me like, just like on the phone. He said, yes. And, and here's the reason why. He said, if it wasn't for the Puppetoons, I would never have created Gumby. Wow. Flat out. So, so he was inspired by the Puppetoons. So it was another. It was another story. Another yeah. great story. Awesome. And that, and that's and and Art not only uh, let me use uh, Gumby, uh, he was also the voice of Pokey, which he was mm -hmm. voice of Pokey. He got me Dallas McKinnon, who was the original voice of Gumby, mm -hmm. who also worked for George Powell, and uh, had a wonderful studio uh, set up in uh, Burbank with Gene Warren Jr., whose father did the effects for the time machine. Mm -hmm. The camera that we used to shoot the sequence is the same camera that was used for the time machine, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, and uh, Peter Kleino was an animator, one of the original Gumby animators. 
Paul Fries is the voice of the, of the dinosaur. Uh, anyway, I think all your viewers should watch it. I think they'll no, get I was going to ask you, what, what, why Gumby and Pokey and a T-Rex dinosaur? It was just, well, it's the story. You'll see as you watch it. Yeah. You'll see how it evolves and the idea of it. Uh, he's a vegetarian. And uh, <laughs> Gumby's the director. And he's directing this, yeah. uh, this T-Rex, basically. But you'll see. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, so that's the story there. So there's a lot of these, again, interesting connections, uh, uh, not to mention the industry itself. Yeah. Uh, I had so many people lending puppets for the Puppetoon movie uh, that uh, it's, it's really remarkable, including Joe Dante and Steven Spielberg, who let me use Gremlins from Gremlins at the time. Yeah. And the, it ends with the Gremlin, actually, in the movie. So it's um, the, the tribute is there. I mean, people people knew George Powell's work. and Yeah was an influence for a lot of people. So how, how uh, many, how many of George's puppets are, are actually survived uh, from the 1940s? Actually, there's quite a few. Uh, a lot of them have been auctioned. Uh, so, they, so they are out in the collector world. They were in the collector's world and they were actually hidden for many, many years. There was a guy that had a lot of these puppets and they couldn't, he was, wouldn't willing to give them up. I tried to get them to do it. Eventually they, when he passed away, they went, eventually went to auction and some of my friends in the business have bought them and they have a number of the puppets. So they are out there. They can be displayed. Uh, at some point in the future, an exhibit should be done, but you'd have to pull it from a lot of different sources. Sure. Uh, George gave away a lot of the puppets. Uh, he was a very generous guy. It wasn't yeah. something he, you know, he kept as a collector's thing for himself. He gave him his gifts to people yeah. And so forth. Now, now George had George, George and his wife. They had two sons. They did. I, and, and now, are you in touch with them? Are they involved in any way, or are they not? Not really. No, they uh, they they kind of went their separate ways. One of the sons lives in Australia. Uh -huh. and he left the he left the country decades ago. Right. And the other son really was not involved. He was involved in the industry with George, but then he kind of left it. And so. Uh, I mean, I became the torchbearer for for the period of time. That's just the way things are sometimes. Yeah, and uh, and that's sort of the way it's been ever since. And I continue to do what I can do. And uh, I'm having a great fun right now doing the puppetoons and getting them put together. Uh, it's really a very exciting project to be doing this. And uh, I'm hoping, like you said, once things clear up, I like to do screenings. I like to present them. And uh, certainly the, uh, the Blu-rays would be the, the first place for people to get them uh, and see them. And, but, you, uh, know, you know, yes, but, you know, for me, and I talk about this frequently, Al John knows this, uh, we, we always have this conversation. I, these films were made for theater. You know, these these films were made to be projected on a big screen in, yeah. in a movie house. And uh, and that's really where I want to see some of this stuff. That's why I think, you know, Randy Haberkamp and, uh, you know, uh, the folks over at UCLA, they really should put together some kind of a program to screen some of these films uh, and I, I and have you there to speak about them and introduce some of these things, because I, I think that they're 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 wonderful gems. And uh, they're a throwback to a period of time that's just so, uh, you know, wonderful, really. I'm very, I'm pleased to hear that. I'm, I'm anxious to do it. And I'm hoping the time will come 
in the not too distant future where we'll be able to have some shows of it. I'd love to do that. And well, um, I, I, I'm going to say, cause we're bumping up on the time, but I, I really want to have you back Arnie uh, at some point in the future when there is really a concrete show going to happen. You know what I mean? Sure. And I, I want to, I want to talk more about the puppetoons and, and George Powell. Uh, th- this has just been, I think a thrilling uh, hour plus because I've just so enjoyed this and I just love uh, George Powell's puppetoons. I'm so pleased that you do. And I'm, I'm so happy we were able to connect uh, to do this show together. I admire the things you've been doing uh, with, with the historical work you've been doing as well. Thank you. And I, I do, I appreciate all that you've been working on. And so I think it's great. And I'm very happy we were able to do this. I, de- I definitely look forward to doing uh, more with you. And we should do that because we can talk about the individual films themselves yeah each, and there's a, there's a great deal each film is a story each film every yeah. film is a story with talent and elements yeah you know it's really great stuff i i, I mean I, I, absolutely and, and and i have to say uh the this was was just such a a, a great show uh to have you on uh and, and talk about this material it, it's so uh you know again it, it it's part of the overall animation industry. And it, and it's a facet of the animation industry. A lot of people don't realize, you know, when, when you talk about uh, um, uh, any kind of stop motion that's gone on today, uh, you know, nightmare before Christmas uh, uh, back in 1993, uh, which really was the first big feature uh, stop motion film uh, to come along uh, on a grand scale. You yeah, know. and I'm glad you mentioned it because uh, it's one of my one of my points in my notes. I was going to mention to you is when Nightmare was happening, um, I was being consulted with at Disney to uh, on, on stop motion. This yeah. was even before Toy Story was made. Sure, I was, when Peter Schneider was there and Tom Schumacher, I um, mean, I was brought in. I, they, they all want to know more about stop motion and everything else. And when Nightmare happened, uh, Howard was the publicity guy working on the film and had me up at the studio and I was there and I met with the animators and with the model makers on the film. I was there when they shot it and they all watched the puppeteer movie. I was going to say every single one of them was a fan of, of George Powell and puppetoons. And, and they were also fans of Art Clokey who was inspired by George Powell and uh, you know, all of that. You talk to any of those stop mode, Eric Layton, any of the guys, any of the folks that uh, worked on, uh, on nightmare before Christmas and, and, and of course, they they gush about it. They were gushing when I went into the studio. I mean, they were surrounding me with stories. They were so excited because remember, these were replacement figure puppets. They were emulating George's basic invention of this replacement. That's what that's what the uh, nightmare characters are. Right. And they were so excited about it because they all had seen the puppetoons and they wanted to know more and they wanted to see more. And of course, now more than ever, we can show more. This is why seeing them will be great for these people because some of these films, you have to remember, haven't been seen in 80 or 90 years. Yeah. These films have not been seen. And when you see them in glorious Technicolor in the most clarity you cannot possibly imagine, like watching literally like the restoration of Snow White, they yeah. are absolutely impeccable. They're so beautiful. So it's going to be quite exciting and thrilling to be able to do this. 
I'm, 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 I'm happy I have an advocate on the other end, which is great to hear. Well, really, you know, I think when this pandemic is behind us, hopefully in the next few months or so, uh, although I know we're coming up on two years with this, but, you know, look, it's going to go from a pandemic to an uh, endemic uh, and uh, we'll be getting our annual COVID shot and, uh, and our flu shot and whatnot. And we're going to live with this. That's what we have to do. Yeah. And things are going to reopen. And, uh, you know, look, I I'm chomping at the bit to be able to go out to more film screenings uh, and and really the place to see these kinds of films are in a great theater like at the Academy Museum or the Samuel Goldman Academy Theater uh, here in Los Angeles and other screening uh, 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 theaters in, in, you know around the country. Yeah, I mean, plus I'd like to be able to go to a restaurant. I want to be able to go to a normal place and just sit down and have uh, something for a change. I mean, I'm, I mean, I just want to be in, around people. I want to be able to be a normal person you know it's know. Uh, it's it's driving us crazy yeah. so uh i hope we get through this you know i mean i'm not gonna live forever you know, I've got, <laughs> I want to get through, so I have some life left. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. And uh, as we wrap this up, Arnold, I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person one of these days in the near future uh, and talking more about Puppetunes. But for now, I want to say thank you for being on uh, the Skull Rock podcast. And thank you for having me. And everyone, go to puppetune.org. And enjoy yourself. Skull Rock Podcast. To infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney galaxy. Whoa! Oh, wow, you flew magnificently. What a great interview. I'm such a big fan of, uh, of Arnie's work and bringing all of that stuff to light uh, with George Powell. Um, so... Man, that, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking about uh, the puppetoons. And, you know, I really, really hope that once we get this pandemic behind us, that, that Arnold can get, uh, you know, some special screenings together at the Motion Picture Academy or, you know, do, do something with it. I, I'd love it if Paramount Plus would put, put some of the uh, restored films onto their streaming service. Yeah. Uh, I really would. There, there's a fan base out there for George Powell's uh, uh, films. And not only that, for the people who aren't familiar with George Powell, now you know something about him. Now you should go and try and see some of these films. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put links in here, but I know right now um, the Puppetoon movie, I think, is on Tubi. And then you can also pick up the... Um, the documentary, I think the part two of his documentary there on Amazon. Yeah. So uh, feel free to check that out. We'll once again, have those links in the show notes so people can check it out for sure. In the meantime, I would encourage everyone once again to go out there and please subscribe to the show. If you just stumbled upon us and you love more of this content, great interviews and talks about movies and pop culture and animation, please feel free to subscribe to us. Follow us on all the social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Facebook. You can also check uh, Dave and I's uh, individual profiles out on LinkedIn as well. And then send us those emails. We would love to hear from you. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljohn at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave? 
And as always, uh, peace and love to everybody out there. I can't believe we're already halfway through January of 2022. Uh, so go out and have a great week. If you live in an area where you're getting a lot of snow, slow down, take it easy, be safe out there. And we will look forward to seeing you right here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com i'm kristen hetzel vacation planner world traveler disney foodie and theme park fan I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.